You're listening to Mornings with Kelly and Steve on Moody Radio, from the word to life. Good morning and welcome to someone we've not gotten to talk to for quite a while, it seems. And that is Dr. Glenn Dewar. He is the Associate Professor of International Studies at Cedarville University in Ohio. And Dr. Dewar, it is good to hear you on the other end of my phone line. Great to hear you as well. Thank you for having me. Now, we were just chatting before we even get into the stories that I've been sharing with our listening family this morning that we're going to be touching on. You were just talking to me about what's happening at Asbury, and I had no idea. And I'm, I'm talking about Asbury Theological uh, Seminary at, at the school down there in Kentucky, but there's spillover now at Cedarville. I hadn't heard about this. Absolutely. Since Monday, we uh, we've, we have... Uh, daily chapel Monday through Friday, mm-hmm. uh, 10 a.m. to about 10:45, and so that's kind of the the norm. But on uh, following Monday's chapel, just uh, students stayed. The president continued to hang out with them. President of the university and uh, continued to sing, and it it lasted for uh, for several hours. And then uh, there was a prayer service start, that started at eight that went well through uh, portions of the night, and so it's. It hasn't been one continuous service since then, but there have been a lot of presences in the chapel uh, ongoing through right now, and many of our students have gone out and uh, joined those elsewhere and have gone to different campuses, typically secular campuses, and tried to pray or worship at uh, different uh, chapels that are uh, there and uh, just to pray over those in, in different areas and to share the gospel. And so... Uh, it's uh, one of these things that's hard to classify, uh, certainly when you're in the midst of it, but it's an exciting time where there's a lot of renewal being led by 20-year-olds and that, that, that are full of zeal for Christ. It's like there's an awakening, really, is what it is. And I was telling Steve earlier this week, I I am so excited. One, you know, yes, Lord, whatever you're pouring into these kids— let them lead. I've got no pride about being older. Let them lead. And two, I would love to see this take off in secular universities. I am so excited for what's happening. Absolutely. A lot of us from faculty are just trying to get out of the way, trying to help where we can. I, I, I told my students on Monday, if you just want to stay in the chapel, go ahead. I'll record the lecture and you can listen to it later. And uh, you know, thanks for honoring me being here. But you know, if you uh, feel feel led, just just go back to chapel and worship and praise the Lord and mm-hmm. confess and repent and let's uh, let's see what the Lord does with all of this. This is going to be so exciting to watch this unfold. I, I had heard also that it was uh, spilling over into chapel services at Lee University and North Central University and. It is still going strong, obviously, at Asbury, and, and the president of uh, Asbury finally released a statement and said he had been, I, I read this this morning, he had been hesitant to say anything because really he felt it was just more appropriate to, to stand back in awe of what the Lord was doing and to let God be God in this situation. And he had said he felt maybe it was more of just a great awakening. He didn't want to really classify it as anything, just let God be God in this time. And they were still conducting classes as normal, but they were leaving the chapel open, and that chapel is still packed. It's just the most amazing thing. It really is remarkable, and it's just wonderful to hear it spreading to other places and institutions and 
for this generation to take up the cause of mm-hmm. Christ, and it really is. It, is, it really is being led by 18 and 20 and 22-year-olds 20, who are really claiming uh, the country and the wider world for Christ. Well, you know, based on the condition of our world, we, I mean, obviously, we know that we all need Christ. We, we all need Jesus. And just looking at the news headlines, Dr. Dewar, I, Steve and I were talking a while back. In fact, I had run across this particular a news headline, and I, I looked across the table at Steve. I said, what do you think is going on with this? He said, I don't know, but we've got to get Dr. Dewar on the air because the headline read, uh, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un tells his military prepare for war. I know there's a lot of rhetoric that comes out of North Korea, and the country is so closed it's hard to know what really is going on there. But, but what, what do you think is, is happening with them right now? It's hard to say for sure, because as you noted, it, it is so closed, and, and really, um, it's just very, very difficult to get actionable intelligence out of North Korea. Um, and there can be several things happening at the same time that don't make a lot of sense as well. But what we can say is in the midst of, of the backdrop of COVID shutdowns and uh, other sanctions uh, from different parts of the world that South Korea is like uh, North Korea, sorry, is, is likely suffering in areas. Uh, there are signs of forward progress in the capital city Pyongyang that is really very much a showcase. But typically, reports out of other large larger cities in North Korea, Hamhung, Chongjin, for example, uh, suggest. Um, perhaps not famine-type situation that we saw in the 1990s where maybe upwards of 2 million people starved to death. But there are um, parallel circumstances where it is very, very difficult. And where that is the case, it does indeed threaten the the Kim regime because at some point people say, well, you know, we're taught self-reliance, but at some point the government is utterly failing us. We need to do something. And one way to distract from that is to saber rattle, to to accuse South Korea, to accuse the United States and the Japan of mm-hmm. of uh, uh, undue influence. We also have to note that the new-ish South Korean president, um, President Yoon, has has come to power uh, to to push back more on North Korea than his previous two uh, predecessors, and so certainly. Uh, they're, they're looking to um, uh, put more pressure on the North Korean regime and to stand up more for human rights. It's it's a very difficult circumstance because you, you're caught kind of between a rock and a hard place. North Korea has a massive military, has an expanding uh, nuclear weapons uh, number, but at the same time, uh, this is a, a country that is generally one of the poorest on the planet and, and outside of Pyongyang has real, real challenges and, and just massive, massive amounts of human rights abuses. And so um, that, that's part of the backdrop that's, that's likely happening there. But uh, as you indicated in the beginning, it's, it's hard to know for certain. Do you think we have anything to fear truly in regard to um, North Korea's leader, his his threats to to unleash nuclear weapons because i i know that when this story was released when I, when i read this headline part of the problem was he was really um rankled by 
uh, South Korea's military drills, joint military drills that they were planning with the United States and said that uh, he was going to turn uh, the North Korean peninsula into a huge war arsenal and a more critical war zone and preparing to counter with, and I'm quoting here, the most overwhelming nuclear force. Yes, there's a, a long history of, of that type of rhetoric for uh, Kim Jong-un um, and his father, Kim Jong-il. Uh, they both used similar type rhetoric, and so it's it's hard to know exactly where to take it seriously, mm-hmm. but... I think for uh, the North Koreans, there was um, between Chairman Kim and President Trump, there was there was an opening. There was there was kind of a friendship that developed. Uh, there were meetings in Singapore and Hanoi, and I think um, as uh, President Biden has kind of shut that door and uh, reverted back to President Obama's policy of uh, kind of strategic patience, uh, as it's known. I think Chairman Kim has become uh, kind of rankled by that and was assuming uh, maybe there would be greater steps forward. And so I think is acting out because, as I noted in the beginning, um, internally within North Korea, it does seem like there are issues with uh, getting adequate food to the population, dispersing it well, but also keeping those that are favored within the regime happy Mm -hmm. as well. And it's been difficult to to manage those buckets, uh, you couple that with a new South Korean president that's that's providing more pressure, and it's uh, it's certainly been a, a a position where in the past we have seen Kim Jong Un really act out and speak aggressively. Uh, the other troubling point, though, in all of this is is the intelligence that has come out suggests that their uh, nuclear arsenal is much much larger. Uh, clearly, they've done massive numbers of missile tests this year and last, mm-hmm. and that is deeply troubling. Plus, they've been selling armaments to Russia. Uh, North Korea and Russia do share a very small eight-mile border right on the uh, very, very southeast uh, tip of Russia uh, into the northeast of North Korea. And so uh, certainly there's a, a means of making money and perhaps of desperation uh, with North Korea as well. So. I think those are pieces that are are moving together. That's something to keep an eye on, and it is just so concerning because they are so closed, and it is difficult to get any reliable information, and we don't know how much our government really knows either, and of course they would not tip their hand. They could not for, you know, security's sake. You mentioned Russia, Dr. Dewar, which reminds me, um, I don't know how common of an occurrence this is. Um, uh, This is another news story that I saw, and I was explaining earlier, too, that with some Internet news outlets, you have to be careful with what you read because they can sensationalize because the more clear they get that at that that will translate into more advertising dollars so you do want to be careful with what you're digesting on the internet but this story indicated that um, I think it's just been a few days ago US military jets had intercepted Russian military jets on the US side of the Bering Strait but then it did go on to say that this is not necessarily an uncommon occurrence now you just mentioned North Korea's ties with with Russia and what they were doing is this something that we should be concerned about it's certainly cause for concern, but at the same time, uh, Russia does this a lot, not just to the United States, but to Canada, and more so to Japan, uh, as well as countries in Central Asia and throughout Eastern Europe, and in particular in Scandinavia and the Baltics. Uh, what each, well, what many countries have, and this goes back to the Cold War era, is a 
an air defense inspection zone, which allows the aircraft to go outside of the, the territorial area just to inspect what's out there so that if it does come into the airspace, they can make, or over the land of the country, it can make a decision on what to do next. Mm-hmm. But Russia has really since 2014 um, violated the air defense inspection zone and really territorial sovereignty of dozens of countries on hundreds of occasions. It has become a very, very regular occurrence in terms of intelligence, just seeing what it can get away with in the international arena. Uh, And it's also a means of bullying some of its neighbors to say, look, we have a big nuclear arsenal and we can also fly over your landmass very, very quickly and just, you know, can you even scramble fighter jets to, to even see what we're doing? Uh, and so this is unfortunately a, a very, very regular occurrence, and um, it should be cause for concern with us in the United States, but uh, it's also noteworthy that we're much, much better prepared to respond than most of our allies, and um, it is a means of Russian testing uh, as well, and typically uh, with the United States, our Air Force has, has remained uh, number one in the world uh, the technology has remained ahead of our uh, nearest counterparts and you know, a very professional um, you know, Air Force. I live very close to an Air Force base here mm-hmm. in Ohio. And so um, you know, there's, there's just a, a massive amount of training, intelligence, uh, and, and a deep level of experience that runs through the population from uh, anything in terms of maintenance to munitions to uh, actual pilots to drones to to many many areas and so the United States is very very well equipped a uh, lot of air bases in strategic locations from Guam to Alaska uh, through the interior of the United States uh, connections throughout the world but it still is a very troubling sign because even some kind of small incident can escalate into something much much larger and that is a that is a real danger today. Well, it's interesting to me that they would test um, the boundaries of, of other nations and, and, and even think about, even remotely think about sparring with the United States when what they're doing uh, in Ukraine, which is still dragging on. I think they thought Ukraine might be much more easily taken than what it has been, and that, that is still going on, and Ukraine has really put up quite the fight. What, what do you see coming next in that part of the world uh, you like i said ukraine has put up quite the fight what is what is next in that situation i think it's going to be a lot more of the same in the next few months i mean they're still in in winter um we're coming up to the uh, week from today the one year anniversary and i think there will be real challenges still of, of moving forward uh, for the ukrainians there are challenges too of um appropriate ammunition but at the same time uh, they have fought very very valiantly they've defended their territory well and their strategy right now is to continue wearing down the russians it's not one of stalemate it's one of you know can we keep depleting the resources of russia because uh, and again it's hard to know the exact numbers coming out because Mm -hmm. the death toll the wider casualty numbers are uh, there's just such a disparity between groups that are reporting it. But uh, if the Ukrainian figures are to be believed, uh, and they certainly will have a, a counting behind it, 
they have certainly managed to neutralize um, you know, thousands of Russian troops. They've managed to stop uh, a much uh, a larger military presence. And if they can continue to drain that, uh, at some point, uh, the tide will turn in Russia, but it is about patience and how much the society can withstand uh, in, uh, in terms of just very, very difficult and dire circumstances with, with bombings and um, you know, parents being away and just you know, the draining of resources. And uh, it's also very, very difficult to keep an economy afloat in the middle of a, of a major war as well. It is astounding to me that they've put up the fight that they have for so long already. Um, just their resilience in continuing to stand against what Russia is doing, is it is amazing to me. If you're just tuning in, by the way, we're talking with Dr. Glenn Dewar, Associate Professor of International Studies at Cedarville University in Ohio. And Dr. Dewar, we're almost out of time. Before I let you get off the phone this morning, though, I did want to touch on one other thing, um, and that is these... Um, I'm using my air quotes here These, because I, I, I don't know really what they are. I'm not sure if any of us can really know exactly what they are, but these weather balloons that have been taken down by the U.S. military. I saw a story uh, in the news also where China had threatened sanctions against U.S. holdings in China for taking these weather balloons down, insisting that they had just gotten off course and this was an act of aggression. What are we really dealing with here? I think the the four that have been taken down have to be put in two different categories. The the first one was was definitely from China. Um, the claim that it's a weather balloon, I don't really even think it holds, even in Chinese propaganda circles. I think I think clearly there's a, an element of spying here, and its flight pattern between sixty to eighty thousand feet uh, is significantly higher than the the others. Uh, it's one of the reasons why an F-22 Raptor was required to, to shoot it down because you just it, it's hard to get anything else to that kind of altitude and to be successful. But um, you know, it was shot down with a missile that was probably in the range of seven hundred to nine hundred fifty thousand dollars. So it's you know it was an expensive maneuver, but at the same time uh, necessary for. Uh, national defense. There's, there's been a lot between Republicans and Democrats in terms of timing when it should have been done. Uh, and I think for many Americans, just having it fly uh, through the interior of the United States, especially over military bases and some of our nuclear weapons sites, uh, was, a, was a difficult pill to swallow. And many Americans wanted it done mm -hmm. much, much earlier. The other three uh, were found around the 40,000 uh, foot altitude mark which is very different because it is, it is an area where um, domestic and international flights can go into that area. Most domestic flights are a little bit lower, but it is uh, certainly a challenge. Um, but it looks like they were much smaller and probably something commercial or locally owned. But uh, you know, until that information is released or declassified, we, we just don't know. There's speculation at this point, but it looks like uh, it was not connected to a foreign entity looking to spy on the United States or to gain uh, additional information. It looks like they're in two separate camps, but it's it's been a very strange occurrence to have it happen so much. Mm -hmm. But the military has also reported that there was a change to uh, the radar last year. And so these things may have been happening. Uh, we just didn't know about it until now. 
And so it's it's certainly one to watch um, as we move into the future. Yeah, we live in interesting times, don't we? Uh, indeed, we do. <laughs> Man. Well, Dr. Dewar, thank you for your time today and on touching on all of these topics. We just wanted to kind of get caught up on things and see where they stand. And uh, we'll continue to keep watch, I guess, as best we can. A lot of secrecy out there. It's hard to really know. But one thing we can do is continue to pray and pray we will. I appreciate your time and your expertise. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're listening to Mornings with Kelly and Steve on Moody Radio. From the word to life.